Uh, by the way, we're getting some updates. Uh, we'll keep an eye along with you on what's happening on the highway. Southeastern Saskatchewan, uh, hearing about heavy snow. One of you reporting you can actually hear the uh, frozen drops against the window. Street's not slippery yet. That's in Estevan. Uh, Indian Head, you're getting some rain. Regina, big, heavy, thick snowflakes. So, uh just keep an eye out. And, of course, for those of you who disparage Highway Hotline, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There are times when you're absolutely correct. It doesn't appear to be very up-to-date. Other times I look at Highway Hotline, and particularly when I'm on the road, uh, it's absolutely up-to-date. But uh, compare, contrast, check out Highway's Hotline, check what you're hearing on the radio, and, of course, as we get texts in here, I will endeavor to pass it along to you. Okay, this is what the hour of the big stories entails. Absolutely anything you want to talk about here today. So the big stories, uh, three of them surround the carbon tax. House of Commons defeats a motion yesterday. Now, it's just a motion, not binding, but it would have been strongly persuasive if a majority of MPs had said the government of Canada should exempt home heating this winter from the carbon tax. That didn't happen. It was voted down 186 to 135. And the interesting aspect was the NDP, which has the Liberals back, they actually signed an agreement, the Supply and Confidence Agreement, That the, and again, doesn't say they can't disagree with the Liberals, in fairness to the NDP, but anything that really counts, they always tuck right in behind Justin Trudeau. This time they didn't. They supported Paul Yev and the Conservatives, but the Bloc Québécois, which of course has absolutely no impact on a carbon tax or not on home heating, because in Quebec they don't pay a carbon tax, said that the environment is not a fancy thing that you entertain between crisis. It's important. We must be constant and patient and determined, said Yves-Francois Blanchet. Thanks, buddy. Uh, one of you made the point, and I love this reference. Uh, it does remind you of the old saying, which no price is too high to pay for those that don't have to pay. Well put. And I thank you, Nancy, for that. So there's that story. Resolution House of Commons. Uh, all of the Premier's territorial leaders come out united, asking for the same thing. And we're going to hear more details in the Saskatchewan legislature, Premier Mo says the ultimatum he's imposing where Sask Energy isn't going to collect the carbon tax on natural gas will be enabled by legislation. And he is, of course, yet not disclosing what the legislation will look like, but he's getting ready and asking the NDP to support them in quickly passing that into law. But who knows? So those are the big stories this morning. On your mind, there might be Anything that you want to talk about, 877-332-8255. Here's an Ottawa story, and I just have to read the headline. We won't even get into the deep and dirty. Justin Trudeau gets elected 2015. 
The government of Canada, which, by the way, its entire government budget was much smaller than it is today, paid about $8 billion a year in consultants. Some of us who like the idea of civil services not expanding, not building empires, heck, bring a consulting group in, do something, you pay them a contract, they move on. So I'm actually a bit of a fan of consultants. But that $8 billion has grown to now nearly $16 billion. So Ottawa has promised that it's actually going to start restraining spending. Haven't done it yet, and it's still all in the plans, but one of the things they'll do is to really trim back consultants. So the Department of Natural Resources, you know, John Wilkinson shop, at a cost of $670,000 brought in KPMG's consulting group to give that department for $670,000 advice on how they can save money on consultants. Yeah, okay, only in Ottawa. Uh, Our condolences to uh, the entire community of Humboldt, still reeling as uh, details are coming in, and to the uh, Novikoski families, um, Chris Novikoski, Joe Novikoski, and little Ava, a grade two student at St. Dominic, the three victims of what appears to have been a terrible tragedy a Saturday afternoon on uh, Stony Lake near Humboldt. Uh, they talked about people falling through the ice. There was very, very thin ice, and apparently uh, there was some work they were doing out at a uh, lakefront home. Uh, when the RCMP arrived, or at least first responders, there were five people in the water three of whom could be seen in the open water. And the three were recovered by firefighters. There was an adult female and a female child taken to hospital and a second female child, who turned out to be little Ava, uh, was deceased at the scene. So those were the three people. Two people were under the water. They couldn't find them. This was Saturday afternoon. By 5 o'clock Sunday, they'd recovered the bodies of two men, uh, Chris and Joe Novikoski. So just a terrible loss. And I know uh, St. Dominic's School and the people of Humboldt, uh, just a tragedy like this affects an entire community. Thinking of you. Okay, other stories out today. Uh, oh, by the way, just in case, uh, I think this is this is in the category of old news if you are anyone who's been following the federal liberals' war on guns. Uh, But it appears in the National Post, Brian Passifume pulls out some access to information requests, uh, also pulled out some things on gunblog.ca, so at least the National Post is running this in a respected national newspaper, and I know on uh, different sports and hunters' sites, This has been circulating for a number of months. This is a slide deck prepared December of 2019. And it's important to remember, December of 19 was four months before the Liberals in 2020, weeks into the pandemic, days after the uh, killings in Nova Scotia, did a blanket ban on 1,500 models 
of rifles, the RCMP helpfully jumped in and banned 300 others. So 1,800 models. Back in 19, the liberals were looking at a ban on, quote, military-style assault rifles. And at that time, they said the price of banning these rifles, recovering them and buying them back wasn't going to be the four or $500 million that they'd been talking about two and three years ago to lobbyists. In 2019, the gun buyback was estimated at $2 billion. So query, if that was in the possession of Bill Blair, the Minister of Public Safety then, and it was a Department of Justice analysis then, why when the Prime Minister and the Liberals in 2025 months later banned all of these guns, they were still using that four to $600 million number. They knew before they even passed that order in council, they were looking at $2 billion. So if you're in uh, the hunting sport shooting community, uh, this is frustrating as all hell, but you know, that's the way they roll. 877-332-8255 calls on the carbon tax, which is a good thing. Let's get you on the radio now. Anything you want to talk about, the hour of the big stories works this way. It's something you're thinking about, something you haven't heard on the news, or you have close to home, around the world. Let's talk. Uh, Less in Corning, thanks for your patience, sir. What's up on the carbon tax? Oh, John, I got thinking. Okay, Quebec just uh, voted against the car, uh, removing the carbon tax. Yep. All right, that's fine. Trudeau's bringing in these heat pumps. Hey, great for them out there. There, let them put them in and see how they make out. But uh, Alberta also sends Quebec transfer payments, and and so and so do we, Les. Saskatchewan yeah. and Alberta are the two biggest contributors uh, per capita right. on on transfer. Right. And we also ship them natural gas and propane, which are from provincially owned resources. Yep. Now. Why can't we do, no, just say not cut them off completely, but blackouts to incentivize them to get off of uh, natural gas and propane. You know, just to, just to stir the pot. Why can't we do this? <laughs> okay, so, so is this the 21st century of let the eastern bastards freeze in the dark, which was our mantra back in 1981 and 2? Why not? Why not? Because right now, they're going to break us out here, and that's what Quebec's trying to do. They don't give a rat's patoot about us out here. That's a good point, and they don't, and they never have, and they never will. Uh, here's the problem. I mean, you've got regular supply contracts and other things, but remember where Quebec is getting most of its functional energy. Anytime you buy a barrel of oil, you bring it to a refinery in Quebec, uh, you bring in, I don't think they bring refined product in from the OPEC countries, but they certainly bring oil in from Saudi, from Algeria, from all sorts of places. So remember, there's that ability to bring oil tankers down the St. Lawrence. Uh, natural gas, you're correct, they do get some from us, but Quebec plays by an entirely different set of rules. Uh, Ian in Saskatoon, carbon tax, how are you seeing it? Well, I'm... Uh... I'm quite upset with two things. One is 
I don't understand if Mr. Trudeau says that Canadians are receiving more back in carbon tax than they're paying in, then why does Nova Scotia need a break? The second one is Mr. Trudeau stood, it was either in a in front of a microphone or in the House of Commons after the hullabaloo broke about this, and he's, he started throwing out, well, they use oil or they, you know, they use oil for heat in other provinces, 80,000 people in, in Alberta. Uh, like as if that, okay, well, now we're all going to put in heat pumps. Well, in 2022, Natural Resources Canada publication, uh, heat pumps do not work. Most of them lower, well, all of them below minus 25. True. And, and most of them below minus 15. Those things are useless in in the majority of Canada for most of the winter. Yep. I, I just don't understand where this guy's coming from. I think it's the heat pump industrial complex. I really do. I blame. No, it just. I. It's almost like Spark. I mean, the Right Honorable Justin P. J. Trudeau, Prime Minister of All Canada, discovered heat pumps somewhere, and I, I don't get it. It's it's weird. Maybe when he was reading one of his graphic novels or something, you know, Wolverine or somebody discovered a heat pump. I don't know. But, yeah, it's weird. It is just, it, like, had you ever heard any liberal use the word heat pump until about three weeks ago? No. Because in most of the country, they're not efficient. And they do run off electricity, granted. And where does most electricity come from in the Atlantic provinces? That which does not come from hydro, which is a Newfoundland thing. And a Quebec thing, Nova Scotia and other places produce most of their electricity with natural gas and coal. This is 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. Yes, broadly applicable across a good swath of southern Saskatchewan this morning. Big white snowy flakes and a little bit of ice on some of the roads as well. Keep an eye, Highway Hotline. And yes, I promise I will check your text messages to pass it along to the rest of the world. Uh, Wayne in Saskatoon, uh, heat pumps don't work here. Never have, never will. Uh, the Prime Minister and now John Wilkinson say they didn't really give a break to the Atlantic. They just are preparing a rapid deployment of heat pumps so nobody will use heating oil anymore. Thoughts? Well, John, I actually contacted a few of the heating and cooling people in Saskatoon, and they, one guy actually chuckled. He goes, no, you, what you need is, if you want to go that route, he said geothermal heating yep. and cooling. But he said the heat pump is meant for climates that barely get below zero. So that's my one point. How come the pri- premier hasn't mentioned that when he quits um, collecting or, or charging the Carbon tax and natural gas, are we going to see that 250 uh, jiggle Google down in our pricing? Never mentioned that. Uh, good point. Uh, depending on the price of natural gas, and you're, you're right, it, it went up slightly, I think, but heck, it's still at a pretty good low rate. You know, 250 gigajoule, yeah, 250 a gigajoule ish. The tax is roughly the exact same amount, so that will come off, uh, at least. Sask Energy isn't going to charge it. They better not find a way of charging uh, more uh, because we're accustomed to paying it. But uh, help me out with this. There's a lot of grumbling. Put it all this regular, please. Yeah, and I get it. You know, when you've got people saying, 
well, the premier should now do something about my propane. Well, here's the problem. You've got propane contracts, you've got propane supply companies, and they have to remit the carbon tax. So, you know, I, I get your frustration, but there's a lot of grumbling. Oh, the premier should be. Well, how does he do that? So I guess the issue is he could dictate to every company selling propane that even though you're a private company, even though the government of Canada is going to go after you and crush you if you don't remit taxes, Saskatchewan will indemnify your officers, directors, all your staff, and we'll pay all your fines. See where we're going here. And by the way, we'll give you money for what would have been the carbon tax you had to remit to Ottawa. Well, that's a formula for hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's going to be a big enough hit when Ottawa goes after us on natural gas. But I really want it. Uh, Jason, can you hang on, sir? I love what Jason is saying on government consulting contracts in the IT sector. You do wonder, I think, how did one simple ArriveCan app which app developers actually went and independently developed, I think the price was under $50,000. The price was $54 million. Jason talks about ghost contracts. A great description next on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. John Gormley, this is the hour of the big stories where absolutely anything and everything goes. Hey, Jason, thanks for hanging on, man. Uh, so the fact that 54 million bucks went into the ArriveCan app, and it looks like up to 400 million could have been used in different CBSA consulting contracts. What do you think? I just... It's flabbergasting about how many controversies are going on with this liberal government. That you got the, like you said, the IT one, the four hundred million there, of and they can't trace it all. You got the carbon tax, which is overtaking the, the news right now. But on top of that, the ArriveCan one. There's also the clean tech file, which was a billion dollar account to help innovation and clean uh, tech for the environment. And that one has contract uh, miscues all over the place, too, where they have, they can't even trace all the money there because they subcontracted out to subcontractors who are also buddies of so-and-so. Yeah, good. It's, I'd forgotten completely about that. And uh, didn't they just, they had a chance, was it the chair of the board, I think, or one of the senior executives, they kept on on the clean tech file, whereas most people are saying there should be a complete house cleaning. Oh, and the, some of the stuff they were just talking to that champion there yesterday in question period of committee, some of the stuff that he's been known has been since March, uh, March 5th or 17th, he went and said, and these people are still running the boards here in November type of thing and not making any, just the amount of insider stuff is crazy. And then tying it all back to the carbon tax, there's documents now floating around. Take it out, you will. It's all on multimedia. Uh, uh, mainstream media or um, social media, so you got to do some research on it. But Mark Kearney is tied into a company with those heat pumps. I think it's Crane on the board he sits. So 
Yeah, now, does he sit on the board of Crane, or he's the chair of the board of Brookfield Asset Management? Brookfield Asset Management, yeah. Yeah, and Brookfield Brookfield probably, again, I'm just speculating, but Brookfield's a big holding company. They may well own, you know, one or more uh, HVAC-related companies. But it all falls, it all traces back to the money. It's just, there's there's so many, like, each one of these things could be an individual headline. You know what I mean? You got the the one with the clean tech. You got the one with the arrive can app. And then you got the carbon tax. It's just there's so much. I just can't believe how liberals can still keep voting for this uh, party in the state that it is. 877-332-8255. Some of these things, my friend, cause you to marvel. And I, I was, I, I've been thinking this through, and I haven't yet done enough research. But it's worth, if you're a bit of a political junkie, maybe there's an evolving theory. (laughs) Okay, what was the conventional wisdom? You eventually, of course, people get tired of governments, but you eventually, uh, Alan Blakeney put it so well, the uh, NDP premier of Saskatchewan from 71 to 82. He said, the day you get elected, they give you a backpack and they put a pebble in it. Then the next day they put another pebble in it. And you see where we're going. And then, of course there reaches a point where that backpack and trying to ascend or scale anything with that backpack is really hard. It's a very appropriate uh, example or metaphor for what politics is like. But along the way, you'll catch a little baggage. You know, government should have done this. It did this. It screwed this up, screwed that up. And then the critics are able to say, you know, in the last six months, this government has done boom, ba boom, ba boom, and not this and this, this. Go back to the blackface election. You remember the guy was elected in 2015 and made history. He took a third-place party that had been absolutely destroyed under Michael Ignatieff by Stephen Harper in 2011. In four short years, he's able to take this party and go from third place to not not a whoppingly huge majority, but a nice, comfortable majority of seats. That's a tribute. By 2019, it's surfacing. There's the Kokanee Grope, where some people experience things differently. Uh, groping a young female reporter. That had happened earlier in the 2000s when he was just a playboy jetting around the country on the Trudeau Family Trust Fund before he was an MP. But he was, you know, yeah, playboy such an old term, but... You know, hound dog doing what he what hound dogs do at big public receptions and events. So this is all coming up. And of course, it's in the past. Then 2019 in the campaign, blackface emerges. Then you've got we SNC Lavalin. Like, like I could keep going on and on and on. And it's every six to eight months, a scandal that goes significantly not just to judgment or policy choices, but character. And now those are hard ones in politics to overcome. Not just personal judgment, but character lapses. So here's my emerging theory, and I'm sorry I'm taking a minute to get to the point. Is it possible if you have enough scandals, people become absolutely insulated and sort of inured to the idea that you're really screwing up. Like, think of it as a, you know, two for one, 
Well, make it a three or four for one sale. You just get so much product, you think, oh, okay. And, and I, it, this sounds dumb because it is. But scandals that would have brought down any other human being, left, right, or center, and you can start with blackface. But every six or eight months, another scandal. So uh, that caller did a very good job of enumerating the ones on the docket today. You're talking several hundred million dollars to ghost companies, phony companies where uh, the same mailing address and shareholders are on two different companies. Uh, They're doing contracting for another company that has two people who run it. They're both directors and owners of the company. They directly pocketed at least $11 million on an ArriveCan app that it took $54 million to build. That's just one. Then you've got green tech or clean tech. You've got the, the, the big government fund. You've got the scandals go on and on. So I just think that maybe if you throw enough scandals at the public, they just turn it off after a while. You know, it's just everybody being mean to our Justin. Something along that line. Because, But, you know, you, someone's going to analyze this because this is quite unprecedented. Where it's... Because the 2019 blackface election scandal, it has continued unabated since that time. And we're now just finishing 2023. So we're moving in to five years of continuous scandals. And in the middle of it all, you remember the most important election since the Second World War in 2021? He gets elected again. Now, 2019, he gets a minority. 2021, he gets a minority. But this is just astonishing. So I was mentioning earlier, John Iveson, who is the parliamentary columnist that does great work in Ottawa, Iveson wrote a book about Justin Trudeau back in 2019, and he said one of the central contentions made was that the greatest strengths of Trudeau are his greatest weaknesses, doggedness, determination, stubbornness, that the day would come when the voters would tire of the idiosyncrasies that once amused them. Whether we fall by ambition, blood, or lust, like diamonds we are cut with our own dust, wrote John Webster, the 17th century playwright. On the present evidence, it is possible the Liberal Party could win the next election. With Trudeau at the helm, the possibility seems less likely. And he makes the point that inside the Liberal caucus, uh, Unnamed Liberal MP, quote, the fatigue among voters is massive and real. There's a sense in the caucus of where the heck's the plan. The same old virtue signaling and wokeness frustrates the crap out of some of us. The larger segment of the population has just tuned the messenger out. So that's a statement from a Liberal MP made anonymously. And he says the friction in the caucus and the faction who are wanting Trudeau to depart is significant. So it does lean, as we say, on a snowy day in southern Saskatchewan toward a walk in the snow. And remember, I mentioned this some months ago, Justin Trudeau is a complete creature of tradition, of family, of his father's legacy. Forty years ago, this coming February, was a leap year. 
Pierre Elliott Trudeau went for a walk in the snow on the 28th of February, and because he was PET, he announced his resignation on the 29th. It was cute. That's because everything Pierre Elliott Trudeau did was cute and symbolic. Well, here's his son. 40 years to the day. Goes for a walk on the 28th, and then makes the announcement on the 29th that I went for a walk yesterday. And all the good I've done for this country, I've now decided to step aside. So that may well happen, which, of course, then pushes the election, much like it did in 84, to the fall of 24. Because the liberals would pick a new leader, likely June, maybe July. That new leader might use what they call the post-leadership bounce to go to the polls in September, October. Could happen. Or the NDP could continue to prop the Liberal government up until their agreement runs out in 25. So, I don't know what's going to happen, but when Iveson says an enfeebled Trudeau has the NDP reconsidering its support, and of course what the NDP did at their fall policy convention, they will withdraw support in this supply and confidence agreement if the Liberals do not commit in the coming weeks to a universal, comprehensive, and completely publicly funded pharmacare program. They don't have any money to do it, but that's never stopped them in the past. Hey, hang on. More calls ahead. Mike, Edwin, the rest of the gang, this is the hour of the big stories on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm John Gormley. Absolutely everything goes in the hour of the big stories. Mike and Swift Current, what's up, sir? Hi, John. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, you know, seeing as Saskatchewan citizens already own the resources, why are we paying for them? Why don't we just pay rent on the meter? And then we don't pay it. <laughs> yeah. It's silly carbon tax. Another thing is, who owns the company that's going to supply those uh, heat pumps? One of his friends? Uh, could be. Um, yeah. I, I would love to be, and I don't want to name names, but all the big furnace makers, you know, Lennox Carrier, all the bigs, you know, they all make these heat pumps. So they've got to be rubbing their hands in delight, right? I mean, when is the last time an elected prime minister spent all this time promoing a product, right? Well, and they don't work. Depends what the commission is. <laughs> Very good point indeed. Uh, Edwin in Regina, everything goes in the hour of the big stories. So what are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking I'm listening to the radio this morning and I hear everybody crying and whining. But what are they prepared to do to get rid of this bum? You know, it's been, what, eight years now, and nobody's really stood up and done anything. So we're just going to get more of the same unless we do something. Well, okay, here's a good example. In Saskatchewan, we have 14 seats. There are no liberals. In Alberta, there are one liberal or two? Two liberals, Randy Bossineau, downtown Edmonton, and Shahel in Calgary. They got 34 seats. So they won't have any liberals after the next election, so all we do is what we can do by voting, right? No, Canada needs us more than we need Canada. We need to remind them of that. Yep. The, the dollar starts here. It doesn't start down east. So is there a point that reasonable people, and I'm putting you in the reasonable person camp, who say, look, I've never been a big, you know, Western, uh, not even independence or separatist, just Western autonomy, Western sovereignty, is there a point at which people say, it's time? We're already there. It's, we just keep living it. Nobody wants to, 
Nobody wants to take that step. Yeah. So what would you do if if I if if we crowned you the king of Saskatchewan tomorrow or the king of joint Alberta and Saskatchewan? What would you do? The first thing I do is I would change everything to the way it is in uh, Quebec and have everything run by the provinces first step as a warning shot. After that, I'd start leveraging until the people want to leave. Yeah, interesting on the Quebec thing. You've actually given me a good promo for the next hour because 10 o'clock, we're going to check in with my buddy Lauren Gunter in Edmonton. He did a very good explainer and defense of why Alberta wants its own pension plan. In the 60s, when the Canada pension plan came in, any province can opt out at any time. And one of the reasons that was in, because your favorite province and mine, at the outset, said, we're not playing. Hence, the Quebec pension plan was born. So you and I have paid into Canada pension plan our entire lives. Every working person does. I think it's now, what, 11 12% we pay of the first, um, goes up to about $65,000 after that. You don't keep, you don't make any more once you make over 65000 Your employer pays the same in, and then you've got this retirement Canada pension plan uh, payment that you can start taking at 60. Alberta's always argued, in addition to, first of all, Quebec being independent of this, the way you flex provincial autonomy is to say, hey, our people will run their own pension plan. Now, Alberta, as Gunter's going to explain, have another reason. And I don't want to scoop myself, but we'll tell you. There's another reason this is particularly attractive to Alberta. In part, it's a little bit the same reason it's attractive to Saskatchewan. But, of course, we have a smaller population base, so we gain by being inside a big $550 billion pension fund run by a board. Policing. The Sûreté du Québec. Quebec doesn't buy the RCMP. They can do federal policing, federal enforcement. Quebec does policing. Quebec does many things distinctly, uniquely in the Federation for that province. Increasingly, the way you start to look at these things is you carve out regional, identifiable jurisdictions for the provinces. Then you'd be more like Quebec. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.